Amen. Thank you, Misty and Garrison. Awesome. Awesome. What a powerful name it is. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, oh, we just think about that this morning, Lord. What a powerful name, the name of Jesus. Demons kneeled and tremble at the name of Jesus. The earth stops at the name of Jesus. Men's hearts are broken and transformed by the name of Jesus. Salvation comes by the name of Jesus. There is no other name like the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. So Lord God, we exalt you today and thank you for the wonderful name of Jesus. May it always be so sweet to us to speak that name. And Lord, today, as we open your word to hear from you, Lord, let us exalt that name by bending to, bending down to, in obedience to the name of Jesus. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 13. Or excuse me, there's not 13 chapters in 1 Peter. Chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 18 is where we're looking this morning as we begin this new series celebrating the Reformation. Uh, looking to, it's the 500th year anniversary of the begin of the Protestant Reformation. And so we want to take a little time to pause and, and think about what God did through history and some of the things that came out of the Protestant Reformation. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. If you found your place there, stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for, what, for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Amen. 
May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. Well, this year is the 500th year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. On October 31st, 1517, Martin Luther went to the church in Wittenberg and he posted his 95 theses there on the door at the church. Now, understand that wasn't vandalism. Uh, that was where they, that was kind of like the community board. And so he posted his 95 thesis protesting some things that had gone wrong in the Roman Catholic Church, some wrong doctrines that had come out, and he went and he posted this 95 Theses, uh, hoping to, to bring about some debate, some discussion. And so that is what we mark, that day is the day that we mark the beginning of the Protestant Reformation. Now there were Former lights, uh, other men who began to speak even before Luther, but that's when it really began to, to come about and, and things began to happen, October 31st, 1517. Now, as Baptists, there are many Baptists who object to us uh, being called Protestants, uh, and many Baptists would say we had nothing really to do with the Reformation. Uh, and there is some truth to that. As we think about what does it mean to be Protestant, uh, well, break down the word. It's protestant. Protestant. And so the, the goal of the Reformers, they were protesting. Luther and Calvin and Zwigli and all of the Reformers of that age, they were all a part of the Roman Catholic Church. And they began, as they began to study Scripture and, and look at some of the doctrines that had come in effect in the Roman Catholic Church, they began to see that there was corruption there. Some corruption had slipped into the church, and so they were protesting against those corruptions and seeking reform. You see, they never wanted to separate from the Roman Catholic Church. They just wanted to reform it. They wanted to, to weed out, get rid of all of the faulty doctrines and get back to a holy, pure church with holy, pure doctrines. And so they protested with the goal of reformation. As Baptists, Baptists began to look, many during that time, Many coming out of the Reformation, they began to search the Scriptures, and they began to look at ecclesiology. That is, they began to look at the doctrine of the church as it is presented in the New Testament. And they began to look at that and say, well, look, what we see in the Roman Catholic Church is not what we see in the New Testament what we see in the New Testament is that there's not this hierarchy of, of authority where you have one man, the Pope, sitting over all of the churches. What you see in the New Testament is Christ sitting in authority over all the churches and each local church being an autonomous, that is a self-governing body. And so Baptists are 
technically separatist. Baptists said there's no need to reform. Reform would be great and good. It would be wonderful to see Rome get their act together, but we don't need reformation. We should just separate. We can build churches grounded in sound theology, sound doctrine. And so Baptists then separated. So technically, Baptists are not Protestant because we took it a step further. We became separatists. But at the same time, we don't want to lose sight of the great things that came out of the Protestant Reformation. I don't want, for one, don't want to lose that heritage. <laughs> if it were not for the Reformers, many of the Baptists would not have, have gone the way they, they did. The, many of the Baptists, whom we, we call kind of the fathers of, of, of the Baptist movement, I guess you could say, uh, they may not have studied Scripture as heavily as they did. They may not have come to the conclusions that they did. So I, for one, don't want to lose that heritage. Furthermore, Scripture tells us that we too are to be protestant. We too are to be protestant. Even still, we are to be protestant for what is good and right. We are to be protestant Protestant for what is good and right. As we see in the passage today, we are to lovingly protest for what is good and right, no matter the cost, for this honors Christ and points others to the gospel. Let me say that again in an imperative form. Lovingly protest for what is good and right, no matter the cost. No matter the cost, dear friend. For this honors Christ and points others to the gospel. So let's look at this then today from this passage. First of all, we need to establish here that we must be protestant for what is good. We must be protestant for what is good. There Peter says in verse 13, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? If you are zealous. What does it mean to be zealous for anything? To be zealous means to be deeply committed to something. To be deeply committed. There's a, a fervence about that commitment. Now, we are in football season, so let's just use that example. LSU played last night, Arkansas played last night, and, and many of you are zealous for LSU. I'm somewhat zealous for Arkansas. I'm not as big of a football fan as a lot of people, so I'm gonna, I'll admit that. But there's a lot of people, you're zealous for your team. And if I came in here and I started laying out all the reasons that LSU was just the worst team out there, you would protest, wouldn't you? <laughs> you would find reason to protest because you love your team. You have a commitment to your team. Peter tells us we are to have such a commitment, at least such a commitment, to what is good and what is right. 
We are to be zealous for what is good. We are to be zealous for what is right. That means that we must be zealous for, uh, we must be zealous to demonstrate what is good. How does this work out? We're to be zealous for, to demonstrate what is good and what is right. When we look at the context of this scripture, if you back up there a few verses, starting in verse 8, Peter says, finally, all you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it for the eye of the Lord. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter there says, coming into the text we're looking at, he says, be zealous for good by pursuing good, by doing good, for living godly lives in Christ Jesus. In Christ, we are no longer to live like the world lives, to pursue the evil desires that the world pursues. But we are to be good. We're to live good. We're to demonstrate to the world good and righteousness. So we are to be zealous for what is good and right by demonstrating what is good and right. Furthermore, We must be zealous for what is good and right by advocating for what is good and right. By advocating, making a defense. He says there, down there in the scripture, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now that word, to make a defense, it it, it means to advocate. It means to to make a legal plea. Of course, that is in in reference to the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. But all of this is in the context of standing up for, living for what is good and right. As you are being zealous for what is good and right... As people begin to ask you why you are so zealous for what is good and right, because they will, we're to give a defense. We're to give a defense. We are to advocate for what is good and right. We're to to tell people why we live the way we live and why we don't pursue the things that the world pursues. We must advocate for what is good and right. This, you remember, was one of the great uh, offenses that God had against Israel before he sent them into exile in Babylon. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 16 through 17 reads, this is the word of the Lord coming to the people of Israel, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, Seek justice, 
correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. In other words, you're to advocate for those who are being oppressed. The people of Israel, some of them were oppressing people. Others were seeing the oppression and staying quiet about it. They were seeing the evil that was taking place before them, and they just kept quiet because that might cause a ruckus. And God says, no, no, no. When you see evil take place, when you see corruption come in, you are to make a stand. You are to be zealous for my word. You are to be zealous for what is good and right and holy and just. Therefore, friends, we are to be protestant. In our world, in our time, we are to stand up for what is good and right. We're always to make a stand. Why? To what ends? We're getting there. We must be protestant for what is good and right. And we must be protestant for what is good and right without fearing the cost. We must be protestant for what is good and right without fearing the cost. Now as it begins here in verse 13, he recognizes that often... Often, we will be praised for doing good. We will be praised for doing good. If you help someone out of a tight, they're, they're financially in a, a bad spot, and you help them out, you're generous as God calls you to be generous, you will be praised for that. That's not always the case, is it? There are times when we stand for what is good and right that we will be persecuted. There's times when we, when we will be slandered for doing what is good and right. Notice what he says there in verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear. You see, that's a command. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. You see, Peter is recognizing here that even though oftentimes we, we will be praised, honored for doing what is right and good, there are other times when we will be slandered, when we will receive persecution for doing what is right and good. We're talking about the Reformation, so let's take the Reformers for an example. The Reformers saw corruption in the church, and so they protested. And they built their protest on God's Word. Yet, they were slandered. They were persecuted. In fact, Martin Luther had to spend out all of his days in exile in Germany. He could never leave Germany. He had, uh, he had the, the favor of the, many of the nobles in Germany, so he was able to live and, 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 and teach there in Germany. But if, had he ever wandered out of the, the boundaries of Germany, he would have been burned at the stake. Same with Luther. Though Luther was himself French, born in France. He lived in exile in Geneva, Switzerland. And he, had he ever left 
Geneva, Switzerland, he would have been burned at the stake for standing up for what is good and right. How many people have lost their businesses today, been forced into bankruptcy, or refusing to bake a cake or take a picture at a homosexual wedding? The time is now, dear friend, when we, as we stand upon the truth of God's Word, we will be slandered and persecuted for standing for what is right and good. It's not something that's foreign to us. It's right here today. And it's only going to get worse. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, we are called to be protestant, to stand up for what is good and right in the world. We are to stand on the Word of God. As he says there in verse 17, it is better to suffer for what is good than to suffer for what is evil. So we must be protestant for what is good, and we must be protestant without fearing the cost. But we also must be protestant for what is good for, you see, here's the for, here's the reason, for the glory of Christ the Lord. We must be protestant, not for our own glory, not so that we can make a name for ourselves, but we must be protestant for what is good for the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the second command that we see here in this paragraph. Have no fear of them, those who would slander you, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, if you have a a different translation than the ESV, yours most likely reads something different because I read in several different versions and they all reword this a little bit differently. They all say the same thing, basically, but... They all say something a little bit different. The New American Standard says, uh, Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. The New King James Version says, Sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts. The new, uh, NIV puts it this way, In your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Literally what's being said here. Literally what's being said here if we were to to go absolute word for word, what Peter says here is, hallow Christ the Lord in your hearts. Hallow Christ. Hallow Him. Make Him holy. Separate Him from from all other things. It's the same word that, that Jesus uses in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Exalted, separated be your name. And Peter says, have no fear of those who would persecute you for doing right, but instead, exalt Jesus as Lord. Why do we pursue what is good and right? 
Do we do it for our sake? No, we do it to point people to Jesus. That's why it says you must be prepared to make a defense. When people say, why are you against homosexual marriage? Because it's against God. God says it's wrong. God says that if you pursue those things, you're going to hell. You're going to hell because you're living in disobedience before God. And we don't bend to what secular opinion says we ought to bend to. We bend the knee to Jesus. We bow before Jesus. Because Jesus is exalted above every earthly power and throne and government. Jesus is Lord. So we we protest for what is good and right because Jesus is Lord, not the President, not Congress, not all of the courts, the Supreme Court, or any other court. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is Lord. We bow to no earthly authority. We bow to Jesus Christ alone. And when we protest for what is good and right, we are telling the world that we live under His authority. He is supreme. And nothing else. Think about that. Think about why is, what is the whole purpose behind persecution? When, when, when people persecute a group for their beliefs, what's the reason for the persecution? It's a fight for supremacy, isn't it? If we can persecute them enough, maybe we can bend them to our point of view. That's what it's all about. No matter how strong the persecution may get, we can never bend the knee to worldliness, evil, wicked behavior. We bow the knee to Jesus Christ and Him alone. So we must be protestant for what is good for the glory of Christ. Alone. Finally, we must be protestant for what is good with gentleness and respect. We must be protestant for what is good with gentleness and respect. Notice what he says. You're supposed to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. With gentleness and respect. Wayne Grudem commenting on this, this section here, this little verse. He says, yet such witness must be given with gentleness and reverence. Not attempting to overpower the unbeliever with force of human personality, our aggressiveness, but trusting the Holy Spirit Himself quietly to persuade the listener. 
You see, we have to remember the end goal here. We have to remember the end goal. If we remember the end goal, then we don't end up on the news in some loud, obnoxious mob screaming profanities, right? Because that's not the kind of protesting we're thinking about. That's what they do. That's what they do. And if we sink to that, then we're no better than, than the world, the secular world. So when we're talking about protesting for what is good and right, we're not talking about going that way. We're not talking about violence. We're not talking about loud, obnoxious behavior. Because the end goal is not just to win the argument. It's not just to win the argument. You see, that's what happens. That's what we see on TV when, with these loud mobs out there protesting. They want to be the loudest ones out there so that they might win the argument. They want to bully people into their belief system. But our goal is not to win an argument. Our goal is redemption. Our goal is redemption. Dear friends, as Christians, we need to remember that. Because quite honestly, when you turn on the TV, sometimes you see people doing such things in the name of Christ. They attack homosexuality not out of love, but out of a hatred. We need to confess that one thing, that there are those out there who are doing that. They're attacking the abortionists, not out of love, but out of hatred. They're attacking all of these different groups out of hatred, not love. And you see, when we begin to do that, we're all wrong. We're off base. Our goal here is not, not just to win the, the day, to win the argument. Our goal here is to point people to Jesus Christ. We're to point people to Jesus Christ. So when the homosexual group comes up and say, well, why are you against us? It's not to get up in their face. You're going to hell. It's to lovingly explain to them God's Word. Say, I'm against this because it's wrong. And what God's Word tells us is if you continue in that lifestyle, you're going to receive judgment. And I don't want that for you. I want you to have forgiveness. I want you to know the grace of God. I want you to know Jesus. You see the difference? You see the difference? It doesn't mean that we're going to receive what we're saying just because we are gentle and respectful. They're far more likely to listen to us, at least give us time when we approach them that way. We need a lot more Christian leaders out there protesting for what is good and right. Protesting 
love, respect, but the desire to see the lost come to know Jesus Christ. Dear friend, we are protestant. We are protestant. We are protestant. We should be protestant. Because Jesus Christ himself was protestant. He came. He pointed out the evil in the world. He called people to repentance, to turn away from sin and evil and turn to God. And he laid down his life there on Calvary's cross to overcome evil. Verse, 14, or verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus Christ, He protested evil. He protested sin to the point that He was willing to suffer and die and protest give his life to bring us out of sin to bring us out of our wickedness and bring us to god as followers of jesus christ we must follow in his footsteps being willing even to die for what is good and right for his glory in His name's sake. Lovingly protest for what is good and right, no matter the cost. But this honors and glorifies Christ and points others to Him. Do you know Him today? Do you know Him? Have you surrendered to Him? Or have you been exalting yourself and the things of this world over Him? Today, surrender to Christ. Surrender to Christ. He died for you so that you might know His grace and mercy. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, as we look at the world, certainly we know that standing up for Your Word, standing up for godliness, standing up for the name of Jesus is costly. And more and more in our world, it's becoming more costly. And Father, we need to even now, count the cost. Know the cost. But also know Your glory. And know that You are worthy of all suffering that might come. 
Oh Lord, Lord, let us be faithful to stand under the authority of Your Word. Under the authority of Your throne. Not surrendering to the pressures of this world, but surrendering to You alone. Always pointing people to You. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.